We are going to wrap up our series that we've been doing this summer called Solid Faith. This has been a study through the book of 1 Peter. This is Peter's letter that he wrote to Christians who were isolated, who were spread out, who were starting to lose steam and uh, lose confidence in the commitment that they'd made to following Jesus. It's a letter of encouragement. And as we wrap up and look at the last few lines of this letter this morning, we're going to be talking about encouragement together. But before I get to that, and, and while I'm, uh, you can make your way over to 1 Peter in your Bibles if you have it with you or if in, on your device, use the Bible app and go find 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. But before we get to the text this morning, I just kind of want to give us a little review of 1 Peter. You may not have been here for all of the lessons, but there's this... Uh, a group called the Bible Project, and they make these excellent summary videos of each book of the Bible. So if you're like in Psalms or if you're in First Peter and you're saying, hey, what's this whole thing about? They uh, just do a really concise summary that has graphics that goes along with it. And I want to share that with you for the next just seven minutes or so. So this is a recap of First Peter. You'll remember some of the things that we've studied, some of the things that I've talked about, but there'll also be some things in there that maybe we didn't get to that hopefully will stand out to you. So just at the beginning, right here, go ahead and we'll take a few minutes to check out this video. The first letter of Peter. His name was Shimon, or Simon, when he first became a follower of Jesus, and he was part of the inner circle of the 12 disciples. When he made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kephas, which is Aramaic for rock, which was later translated into Greek as Petros, or Peter. Jesus promised that he would become a leader among the apostles to guide the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its earliest years, and that's what happened. Remember the early chapters of the book of Acts. Eventually, Peter was called to carry the good news of Jesus beyond the borders of Israel, however, and this letter was written decades into that mission in the wider Roman world. We discover at the conclusion of this letter that Peter is in Rome, which he calls Babylon, and we learned that while Peter commissioned the letter, it was actually composed by a man named Silvanus, who was a co-worker of Peter. This was a circular letter sent to multiple church communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish Christians were persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter wrote to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. And this helps explain the letter's design and its main themes. It opens with a greeting, and then it moves into a poetic song of praise to God, which introduces the key themes that are explored in the main body of the letter, where he first affirms the new family identity of these persecuted Christians, which will help them see their suffering as a way to bear witness to Jesus. And this has a way of focusing their future hopes on the return of Jesus. Let's dive in. You'll just see how all the pieces work together. So Peter opens by greeting these churches as the chosen people of God who are exiled around the world. Now, Peter makes clear throughout the letter that these Christians he's writing to are Gentiles, but here he describes them with phrases from the Old Testament that describe how God chose the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, who was himself an exile and wanderer. This is a key strategy that Peter repeats through the whole letter. He wants these suffering non-Jewish Christians to see that through Jesus, they now belong to the family of Abraham. And so they're wandering exiles just like him, misunderstood, they're mistreated, and they're looking for their true home in the promised land. 
Peter continues this idea in the opening song. He praises God for causing people to be born again into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Spirit. God's inviting all people into a new family centered around Jesus, a family that has a new identity as God's beloved children and who have a new hope of a world reborn by God's love when Jesus returns as King. And for people who have this hope, suffering and persecution is actually a strange gift because it burns away false hopes and distractions like a purifying fire, and it reminds us of our true home and hope. And so paradoxically, life's hardships actually deepen our faith. They make it more genuine. From here, Peter's going to move on into the body of the letter, but he's going to explore all these ideas in greater depth. So he first develops the theme about the new family identity of God's people. He takes even more memorable Old Testament images about the family of Israel, and then he applies them to these Gentile Christians. So like the Israelites who left Egypt, they too are to gird up their loins and leave behind their former way of life on the way to a new future. So they are the holy people of God now who are journeying through the wilderness. They are the people of the new Exodus who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who's the ultimate Passover lamb. They are the people of the new covenant who have God's word buried deep inside them, restoring their hearts and renewing their minds. They are the new temple built on the foundation of Jesus himself, and they're the new kingdom of priests who are serving God as his representatives to the nations. Now, by applying all of these amazing images to these persecuted Gentile Christians, Peter is placing their suffering within a brand new story, and this leads into the next section. Their persecution can actually help bring clarity to their mission in the world, to bear witness to God's mercy among the nations. So Peter first encourages them to submit to Roman rule, even if it's oppressive. Yes, he acknowledges their persecution, their suffering is unjust, but violent resistance solves nothing, not to mention that it betrays the teachings of Jesus who loved his enemies instead of killing them. Peter then specifically highlights the very difficult situation that Christian slaves and wives faced when they lived in Roman households where the patriarch did not follow Jesus. The problem was that it was expected that everyone in the household would submit to and worship the patriarch's gods. And so Peter's aware that giving allegiance to Jesus will generate suspicion. So Peter says, it's true. All Christians, including Roman wives and slaves, have been fully liberated by Jesus. But they are to demonstrate that freedom, not through rebellion, but by resisting evil the same way Jesus did, through showing love and generosity to your enemies. And in homes where the husband is also a Christian, it's a different story. They are to treat their wives totally different from their Roman neighbors, regarding them as equals before God who are worthy of honor and respect. And Peter's hopeful that this imitation of Jesus' love and upside-down kingdom will give power to their words as they bear witness to God's mercy and show people the beautiful truth about the way of Jesus. But Peter's also a realist. He knows that Christians will continue to be persecuted, and so he reminds them of their future vindication. He recalls how Jesus himself was unfairly persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers, but in reality, he was dying for the sins of his enemies. And afterward, he was vindicated and given resurrection life by the Spirit. And now Jesus is exalted as king over all human and spiritual powers. Then Peter shows how baptism points to the vindication of Jesus' followers. So like Noah, they've been saved through the waters, not as a magic ritual, but as a sacred symbol that shows their change of heart, their desire to be joined to Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so now, even if they are murdered for following Jesus, their hope is in future vindication and exaltation 
risen alongside their king. Which leads Peter into the final movement. He recalls Jesus' words that his disciples should consider it an honor and joy to be persecuted just like he was. Peter then calls on church leaders to care for these suffering Christians and to show the same kind of servant leadership that Jesus did to his followers. And finally, Peter reminds these Christians about the real enemy that they are facing. This hostility isn't simply cultural or even political. There are dark forces of spiritual evil at work inspiring hatred and violence. And they are to resist this evil by staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings and by anticipating his return and ultimate victory over such evil. Peter concludes with a prayer for divine strength, and he sends a greeting from the church in Rome, which he calls Babylon. Now, this is cool. Peter's adopting here the tradition of the Old Testament prophets for whom the name Babylon became an archetype for any and every corrupt nation. And so Rome has become the new Babylon, and its empire is where God's people are now exiled from their true home in the renewed creation. Peter's first letter is a powerful reminder of Christian hope in the midst of suffering. God's people have been a misunderstood minority from the very beginning, and they should expect to face hostility because they've chosen to live under the rule of a different king, Jesus. However, persecution can become a strange gift to the church because it offers a chance to show others the surprising generosity and love of Jesus, which is fueled by the hope of his return. And that's what 1 Peter is all about. get all that? That's kind of a lot. We've been in 1 Peter all summer. This has been a three-month series that we've been studying through, section by section, line by line. As you can tell, there's a lot that's going on there. But as we wrap up this morning, I just want you to think of one word. And this is kind of a summary of the letter, and it's also a commission for each of us. And that one word is encourage. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this time to be together, to gather in the name of Jesus, to sing songs of praise, to lift up his name, to listen in on this correspondence between Peter and these early Christians, these words of encouragement, these words of inspiration, telling them not to give up, to keep going. We we overhear those words. We want to grab onto them ourselves. We want to be encouraged in our faith, in our church, in our efforts to shine the light of Christ in a world that sometimes is not at all interested. So I pray that we are encouraged this morning by our our fellowship and our gathering and by this message and that I pray that you'll open up our hearts to hear something that we need to know and more specifically something that we may need to do to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we go from here. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen. I don't want to brag, but I met John Keister one time. I did, in person. I was at the same event that he was at, and I got to shake his hand, and I got to say, Mr. Keister, I am your biggest fan. I think what you're doing is great, and uh, you guys can all be jealous of me that, that I got to meet John Keister in the flesh. Now, if you are not from Seattle, or if you never spent time in the Seattle area, uh, you might not know who John Keister is. <laughs> you might say, well, we're not impressed yet because we don't, don't know John Keister. We don't care about him. He happens to be a local comedian who was on television when I was growing up. And my youth group, we volunteered at this uh, event. 
It was the opening ceremonies for the Special Olympics that was held in Seattle that year. We got to move chairs and just kind of, you know, do whatever teenagers can do at the time. But the MC of the event was John Keister. And I went, wow. So before, like, when we were, before the event started, he was off to the side. And me and my buddy Rich, we went up and we, we got to meet him. And we got to see him. And it was, it was great. It gave us this boost. And like, if they asked us to move chairs or, or lift heavy things, we were ready to do it. Because... John Keister was there, and he was doing this as well. Now, the reason I, I tell you this story or mention a, a minor celebrity that you may not care about or can't appreciate how great it was to actually meet this fellow is because we get some names at the end of 1 Peter, and they might be just names to you, like John Keister. This person, you got to meet him. We're sending you these greetings, and you're like, I, I don't really know who Sylvanus was. I don't know who this Mark is that Peter is referring to. And one, I don't know that the people receiving this letter would have known who those people were either. My guess is they'd have heard of Peter. Hopefully, they'd have heard of Mark, as in the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, the Mark who, who traveled with Paul, the, the Mark who was part of this thing from the start, who witnessed some amazing things. Uh, the same thing kind of goes for Silas, or your Bible might say Silvanus. That's the Greek word for this guy, Silas. And then he mentions too, there's this, uh, she who is in Babylon sends her greetings as well. So you're receiving this encouragement from some people that you might go, wow, that's John Keister. And you might go, okay, so it's John Keister. But either way, it's a source of encouragement. What these Christians were receiving was a message from the other side of the world essentially saying there are people here who know who you are who know what you're doing and we're rooting for you we think you should keep going we are praying for you we think that even if it feels like you're failing you're not even if you're suffering there's redemption in that because you're suffering for the name of jesus christ the messiah the ruler of the world this was an encouragement one way or another I want to read these final words from this letter that Peter sent. And then we're going to reflect on them a little bit. Say, what does this mean for us? How can we be Christian encouragers for others? So this is 1 Peter chapter 5, just the last three verses. And Peter writes this. With the help of Silas, Joseph, you can go ahead and throw these up on the screen. I think we have them up there so folks can follow along. With the help of Silas, or Silvanus, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And then that's it put the letter aside and said, ah, wow. And Christianity continued in these regions. And Christians got up out of their beds the next day and said, okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep serving. I love these videos that summarize the books of the Bible because of their imagery. I, I mean, I'm a visual person. I like to see drawings. I like to see depictions. And as you watch this, you can tell there's a lot of Old Testament imagery. There's Babylon imagery. There's uh, Red Sea 
imagery. There's this is where you were. This is the history of our people. And I think that that's intentional. They didn't have these videos back then, but Peter makes a lot of references to people like Noah and the, the exiles, the prophets. And these images would come up in the minds of probably a lot of these Christians who knew these stories and said, wow, this is me being connected with this long tradition of faith. Stand fast in the true grace of God. He mentions the she who is in Babylon. And, you know, you could, you could dig in and study this. You might say, well, who's the she? Who's Peter talking about? Is this some Christian woman? Some scholars think it's Peter's wife. Some people think that he's referring to the church. You know, the, the, this female word, the, the church. She sends her greetings. And people go back and forth. Who is this? Who is he referring to? And it comes out inconclusive sometimes. We don't know who this is. But as the video showed us, he's saying from Babylon. Babylon is referred to as any place where Christians are not in power. Babylon refers back to the story of the Babylonian Empire conquering Jerusalem and sending a lot of God's people away into exile. And it brings to mind stories that we may know from the Bible of people like Daniel. The story of Daniel, this faithful Israelite who is now in the king's court where they don't honor Yahweh. They don't worship Yahweh. They took these, is, uh, these Jewish exiles, they changed their names, and they said, no, you work for us now. You are different. You're in the minority. And faithful people like Daniel said, okay, well, I'm still going to keep the traditions of God. I'm still going to worship Yahweh as the one true God. I'm not going to bow down before any ruler, no matter what the consequences are. And it might remind you of women like Esther, who is in a similar situation. People like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this story? These guys who were, just found themselves outnumbered and in a situation where they were pressured to not worship God, to worship false gods. And they said, no, we're not going to. We're going to be faithful and we're going to stick it out. Earlier in this letter, Peter references Noah. And he says, you remember how Noah was building this ark and everybody made fun of him? And they said, you are crazy. This is never going to happen. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him and they mocked him. But he remained faithful to God. All of these images of these past heroes of faith that we teach our kids in kids' worship and these stories that we hold on to ourselves, Peter is saying, that is you. And you have an opportunity to be faithful, even if the people around you aren't. Even in a world that doesn't applaud for Jesus Christ, you can still be faithful in following him. And I find that to be encouraging myself. As we, I've talked about this throughout the series, because you're not always going to be rewarded for doing the right thing. The thing that we understand is what God wants. You may do that, and it may cost you something socially. It may cost you something in terms of not taking the easy road. This is encouragement for us as it was an encouragement for these first century Christians. He tells them in this last part of the letter, greet one another with a kiss of love. So everybody pull down your mask and like, kiss the person next to you. No, don't do that. Jan went ahead and did it anyway. I, was, I didn't get the just kidding in there fast enough. But the kiss of love was a symbol of family. The kiss of love says, you are part of us. We are in this together. The Parnell family has a rule in our family for our kids 
uh, more so than it needs to be applied for the adults. But we have this rule, and the rule is we only kiss family. And that's a, that's a practical rule, you know, when the kids are young and they're on the playground, uh, they're, they're three or four years old, they love everybody and they hug their friends and they, they want to like kiss other friends and, you know, they kiss on the lips because they're so sweet and they're, they're these young kids and we said, all right, that's cute and that's sweet, uh, but here's the rule, we, <laughs> we only kiss family from now on, okay? And that came in really handy too when you're, you know, germs on the rise and you're not supposed to kiss anybody, uh, this, greet each other with a kiss of love, is a reminder of this Parnell rule, I think, which is we only kiss family. So when we are greeting one another, we are saying, you are part of the family of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ together. You are my brother, and you are my sister, and we are in this together. And peace to all of you who are in Christ. I think it's important... Now, and it's even more important now than it has been in the past, to be encouraged. And the other side of that coin is to be an encourager. I think a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. And I, here I would normally ask you to raise your hand, but don't raise your hand, but in your head, raise your hand and just think, has there been a time recently that you have been discouraged in your faith? Lucy's raising her hand. That's adorable. Only kiss family, Lucy. Think about if you've been discouraged, and then think about how much you've been discouraged and why. And we're going to talk about this more next week in our lament service. We're going to have this opportunity to cry out to God and say, Lord, how long must this go on? Or, Lord, why are these things happening in my life? Or, Lord, where are you when things are going out of control? I think each of us has a story that we could share if we made enough time and said, things have been different lately, to say the least. Things have been disorienting over the last several months. And I think there's a lot of reason we have that we have felt discouraged as individuals, as members of this church, as Christians in a world that just seems to get harder and harder to stand up for Christ. Think about how important encouragement is and how much a little bit of somebody coming alongside you and saying, you are not wrong. You are on the right track. You need to wake up the next morning, put one foot in front of the other, and keep going. Because this good news that you have heard and accepted that Jesus Christ is king and that he has conquered sin and death and that he is the answer, it's true. It's true just as much today as it was yesterday, as it was 10 years ago ago as it was when Peter wrote this letter. This reminder, this encouragement that we can give one another to keep going in our faith. I think that's important now. I've been encouraged by a lot of you. I get a lot of encouragement from other ministers. I get emails of encouragement. I get feedback because I'm doing things a lot. And people say, like, oh, that was good. Or, oh, no, maybe that was, that was a good try, but do it differently this time. Those are forms of encouragement of people tuning in and saying, yes, yes, we want to we wanna go with. We believe in this as well. I was, uh, on Monday, I was here at the building, and there were several ladies from our congregation who met up to participate in the encouragement ministry. And they write cards, and they send out 
letters to people who are on our prayer list or people who need encouragement. And I watch them discuss, like, well, who needs encouragement? Who's, who have we been praying for? What's going on in people's lives? How can we show them love? And they write these cards and they pass them around and each of them writes their own message. We love you. We are praying for you. We know you. We believe in you. This is a powerful ministry. And I know that a lot of you do this as well, even if you're not able to come on Mondays and participate in this. This is something, this is a language that we speak, and it's something that we do, and it's something that we know. We sent out an email yesterday with an update on the Johnson family, our missionaries that we support in Australia. And they've been going through a really hard season. And we've known about this, but we are finally able to bring the congregation into this. If you haven't, you may not have seen this email. It might be sitting in your inbox, so you may not know what I'm talking about. But go home, check this email. There's a link and an announcement that was made. This is a family that we love, and they're doing awesome things for Christ. They need our encouragement now. I want to encourage you to do that, to be an encouragement to them, to be an encouragement to the people we're praying for, to be an encouragement to one another. And I want to end this morning. This is getting a little bit uncomfortable for me to sit here on this chair. Um, I'd like to ask you guys to uh, stand up if you can. If you, if you can't, then you're fine. But if you can, just, just stand up. Encouraging one another um, requires seeing one another. And sometimes we don't always see each other. Sometimes we see each other in passing. Sometimes we are in lockdown mode. We don't uh, in interact with one another. Which is one of the reasons I'm trying to put more meals on the calendar. I'm trying to get us together more often to create those in-between spaces where we, we have conversations in passing where we check in and we say, how are you really doing? But this morning, to illustrate why this is important, I'm going to ask you to do something that you may not want to do. I want you to turn toward the center of the room. So you people, turn this way. You people, turn this way. I want you to look at each other. I want you to see each other. These are the people in your church who need your encouragement. Everybody turn back and look at that camera in the back of the room. You are looking at the people who are at home who are worshiping with us remotely. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you are with them and you are praying for them. Okay, now turn back to each other. No, 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 not back to me. I know you want to, but turn and face the middle. And I'm going to ask Bill to lead us in this last song. This is a song of encouragement. This is what Peter essentially is sending and saying to these first century Christians. We have the Lord. We are in a spiritual battle, but we know that we're going to be victorious because of Christ. And so, Dick, go ahead and make sure that uh, mic number four is on. Bill's going to lead us. You, you guys might feel like, okay, well, if I'm looking across the room, I can't see the screen where the lyrics are. That's okay. The lyrics are, the battle belongs to the Lord. Glory, honor, power, and strength to the Lord. You can take a peek if you need to, but sing this song together. But sing it to one another as a source of encouragement. And then after Bill leads us in this song, I will have disappeared from the stage, and Rod's going to come up here and uh, lead us in our prayers for one another. So take us there, Bill.